for all of you who are in the room, hello. For those of you who are online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, and, and I want to start a little bit differently because thank you so much for that little whoop whoop. That was fantastic. But I, th this whole day is really about us learning to be a people that declare the hope and glory and goodness of God in our lives, over our lives, into the atmosphere, even when we might be in a season that feels like we are not seeing what we're believing. Are you tracking with me? So if you're going to give me that little bit, can we just take about five seconds and give God the glory and the praise that he deserves? Come on. Come on. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. I love it. All right, I feel better. Well, we want to do something today right off the bat that has been often duplicated but never replicated. And uh, it is the, the privilege that we have at this house to award people with the coveted golden hammer. And, and, and what this golden hammer represents is it represents somebody who is given above and beyond to see the skills of their hands build a house for the glory of God. And so, Joy, get up here! Come on! Come on, Joy! Yeah! Yeah! All the way! All the way up here. All the way. Joy has become part of the soundtrack of our church. And she has been on our worship team for a couple of years, yeah, two years. And she is only in high school. And she serves and lays it down. And Joy is actually moving. I know. We actually attacked her parents' house, and it's, they still sold it. It's a bummer. Um, but her family is moving to Waco. And so she is going to be moving to Waco. So this is actually her last Sunday. And I just want to say, Joy... You have made a dent on who we are, and you have taken us into the presence of God time and time again. We love you, and we golden hammer you. Come on. Oh, by far the best part of my job right there. Is to give out golden hammers, man. Nothing like a hammer spray painted gold that just is going to fire you up in the morning. You know what I mean? So good. Love it. Well, we are in week three of a series of talks that we are calling our manifesto. And uh, what a manifesto is, is it's a declaration of intent. And so what we have done is we have grabbed seven truth statements that we are declaring. You know what? This is who we are. And this is who we are fighting to become. And, and these statements are, Jesus is our message. Serving is our privilege. 
Celebration is our soundtrack. Hope is our belief. Honor is our language. Transformation is our byproduct, and generosity is our standard. And and these are the things that we want to build the foundation of who we are as a people and as a church on. Because when the storms come, when the wind of culture picks up over the next couple of weeks, we believe that a rooted church will not just be able to stand through it. We believe that we can thrive in the middle of it if the foundation of our lives is built on the rock of who Jesus is and what he has called us to be. Amen? Foundations matter. Uh, The world is shifting. So what we're building our life on is everything. And when God began to stir in Liz and I, this dream to plant a church here in the city of Austin, one of the very first scriptures that God spoke to us uh, that we needed to hang on to as a promise came out of Psalms 5, verse 11. Psalms 5, verse 11, and this is what it says. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Verse 12, surely, Lord, you bless the righteous and you surround them with favor as with a shield. And from time to time, I love to, to reference the message translation of, of Scripture because it, it can sometimes breathe some fresh life into our understanding of what the Word of God is saying. And this is how the message puts these two verses. But, you are, but you'll welcome us with open arms. You'll welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. And let the party last all night. I love that. Let the party last all night. Stand guard over our celebration. You are famous, God, for welcoming God seekers, for decking us out in delight. And all that we knew was that we didn't know how it was going to happen. We didn't know where it was going to happen. At this point, when God was stirring this in us, we didn't, we didn't even know when it was going to happen. But what we did know from that point on is that what God was going to be about here in establishing Antioch, Austin, in this city, was that we were going to be a church that brought the party of heaven to the people of Austin. That's what we knew. We knew that we were going to be about bringing the party of heaven to the people of Austin. And so the question that that I want us to lean into today in our time together is a very simple one. Are you ready to party? Are you ready to party? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a God of celebration. Lord, that you're a God of hope. You're a God of joy. And even in tragedy, there is somehow in the mystery of who you are an ability to receive grace and peace and life. And so we're asking that you would teach us how to be a people that have celebration as our soundtrack. And everybody said,
Amen. Hey, before I go any further, I want to ask you to help me help you. Is that cool? We do this from time to time, but, you know, it's just good. Everybody needs a little refresher, a little review, okay? Now, I have a full confession to make. I wish that I was such a good preacher that I didn't need you, but that's not actually the case. My preaching is kind of a little bit like a stew, and so if you turn up the heat, it's only going to end up tasting better. Are you with me? And so, and so if you could, like, if you hear something, don't just sit there like you're watching golf. Because are we watching golf? I'm not sure. Okay? I dressed a bit like a golfer today. I know uh, people are having trouble recognizing me because I'm not wearing all black, but it's still me. Okay? And, but, but the thing is, is that if, if, I, if you hear something that you like, you can say something back. Right. Oh, hello. Yeah. yeah. You can be like, amen. It's true. You can talk in church. Let's practice. Amen. Okay. You could be like, well, that's a good word, bro. You know, like, and and if you're more like Dave Bresman age, you can be like, amen. Awesome. Awesome. Right. If you don't know who Dave is, meet him. He's right there in the back. (laughs) Masked up for your glory. Okay. So can you help me help you? Are we on the same page? All right. Now, how many of you are, this is one of those times where you can respond. How many of you are excited that football is back? Okay, now, okay, before we get, I know, it's tender right now here in the city of Austin. It's a lot of tenderness. We're just going to leave it alone. We're not even going to go there, all right? We're not even going to mention what happened, but wow. But wow. Okay, okay, that's all I'm going to say, though. So just, but football is back. And and I am so thankful that in the midst of everything that doesn't feel normal, Saturdays are starting to feel just a little bit normal. But even when you're watching the game, right, there's this just nagging reminder that we're not quite back yet. And that's the fact that most of the stadiums are either empty or almost empty, right? And, And so, this has been this, this reminder that, wow, things are kind of back, but not really quite back yet. Now, in my house, I'm going to speak for the Griffin house really quickly, we watch both kinds of football, okay? Which means that we watch football, the, the American version of football, which is the more that I get into the other version of football, I realize that maybe it was misnamed. <laughs> because we don't really use our foot often in the game of football, but we digress. And, and so interesting thing happened watching the second kind of football, because the second kind of football was happening as the pandemic was first starting. They were still playing, okay? And so what happened was they shut down people from being able to come into the stands and they started having games with literally nobody there. But this very interesting thing happened. You have a couple of major leagues that are that make up the top echelon of soccer, okay? And one of them is the Premier League in Europe. How many of you have heard of the Premier League? Okay, it's kind of sad that not everybody raised their hand because it is beautiful, okay? And <laughs> But the Premier League, okay, now the Premier League said something early on as the fans were evaporated. They said, you know what? Our game is not just our game. Our game, a part of our game is the sounds of our fans at the game. And so even though the stadiums are going to be empty, we're going to play the recordings of past games over the speakers, 
okay? Now, the La Liga, which is another one of these top-tier soccer leagues that is mostly in Spain and in Italy, okay? They were like, our game is beautiful. <laughs> we don't need anything else. That's my accent. We, <laughs> our, ga- our game is beautiful. It is perfect. We don't need the fans. The fans are there for us. We are not there for the fans, right? And so they played nothing, all right? Now, one of my favorite teams is in La Liga, okay? Juventus, all right? And so <laughs> Juve's playing, and, and I'm watching this game, and I cannot get into it for the life of me. It was like watching a well-funded scrimmage, okay? Like, it was so quiet, you're hearing the ball being kicked. You're hearing the players yelling at each other. Like, it was like you could hear a pin drop, and I'm trying. I'm like, this is my team. These are my boys. And I'm seeing these amazing things happen, and I'm like, this, I just, I don't know if I want to watch this game. It was weird. Like, watching something without anything happening, I was like, dude, this, I feel like I'm having a different experience than when I'm watching it when there's people there. Now, really smart, are you thankful for smart people? Smart people noticed this too. Now, I just turned my television off and went, that was weird. <laughs> but, but, but people started noticing this, and so smart people started to do a little bit of research about why we were experiencing the game differently as a spectator when there was no background noise involved to the game that we were watching. And what they found after having groups of people come and watch incredible moments of teams that they loved without any noise and then versus with the crowd noise, the response, what they felt, how engaged they were, and literally how excited they were about the thing that they were watching was 100% correlated to the things they were hearing, not the things they were seeing. Okay, so... So what we hear has a dramatic effect on what we see. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What we hear has a dramatic effect on what we see. The effect of background noise on us does not stop with our experience of watching sports. Because what we hear has an effect on what we see. And we have background noise, not just in games that we watch, but we have background noise in our hearts and in our minds. There's background noise in our hearts, in our minds. Most of us will spend most of our day flooded with the junk of our past racing through our memory. Most of us will spend most of our day just rehashing the things that have happened to us that were hurtful, the things that were spoken over us that were hurtful, and the lies the enemy is feeding us. And that's just the background noise. That's just the ambient noise of your life is just rehashing everything that you are not. And hear me, what you hear has an effect on what you can see. And if the background noise that's underscoring 
your life, if it's clouded with hurtful things and things that were done to you and things that happened around you and and you have picked up on these messages that are now the things that you hear louder than anything else and they're shaping the experience you're having in front of you like you're never gonna amount to anything. If that's playing in the back of your mind, if that, if that phrase is the background noise, then it doesn't matter what's happening out here. That's going to shape how you see what's happening out here. That's going to shape how you see what you see. God forbid you had an experience of abuse, and when you did, it just tattooed a lie on you that says worthless. And that moment affects what you can believe. The pain of rejection just seated this small voice in the background of your mind that just keeps reminding you and just keeps telling you in the middle of everything that you're involved in, you can never really trust anyone ever again. And the background noise doesn't just go away. Those things don't just go away. Background noise has a dramatic effect on how we experience what's happening around us. Because if all we hear day and night is what we're not, even if we find ourselves in a relationship with a group of people who are for you, who want the best for your life, if the background noise is loud enough, we won't be able to see it. Background noise has an effect on what we see and how we see what we are seeing. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Some translations say it this way, above all else, guard your mind. Guard your mind. What we allow to consume our thoughts, the background noise that we allow to play in our mind will affect us and our weapon against the lies of the enemy and the scars of our past is to take back the noise of our mind. The background noise of our soul needs to shift from what life has taught us from the sounds of our past failures, the shortcomings we've experienced, to the truth of who God is and who God has called us to be. Are you with me? There needs to be a shift. There needs to be a transfer. And that transfer happens when we start spending more time in the Bible and in God's presence than we do rehashing the chapters and the noise of our past failures. When we start spending more time in the word of God and more time in the presence of God, that becomes what shapes what we are seeing. 
But if we are spending most of our days living in the failures of, once what, of what we once were and the things that once was, we will never be able to grab hold of what God has for us. Because background noise shapes what we see. This is why you're going to hear us say probably at nauseum that we want you to be Bible readers and not just podcast listeners. We want you to be lead worshipers and not just worship observers. Because we have to be people that are leaning into truth in the midst of the lies that are trying to silence the truth. And so we have to be a people that are going to be leaning forward and saying, you know what? I am going to get into what God says about me. And I'm going to get into who God is and the truth of who he is. And that's going to be the guiding sounds of my life, not the noise of my failure. And the story that I want us to dive into this morning is a story that at face value is a really hard one to understand. And it's the story of a man named Abraham and his only promised son, Isaac. Now, a couple of things that are going to help you understand the gravity of the moment that we're going to be leaning into in the word of God is that Abraham was not always his name. His name was Abram in Genesis 12, and God interrupted his story. How many of you are thankful that God will interrupt your story? That God will interrupt your story for his glory, regardless of how young you are or how old you are. Regardless of what you have done, God is a God who interrupts what we know and changes it into what he knows. And in Genesis 12, Abram has one of those God interrupting his story moments. And it says this in verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I want you to listen to this part. I I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow, dude, that is some good news. All right, like God shows up and he's like, look, everything you're going to do is going to turn to gold. Anybody who even interacts with you, they're going to get hooked up. Like it is going to be, you're going to become a nation, bro. All right, like what? This is a crazy promise from God. Talk about an interruption. Talk about God jumping into your world and changing how you're supposed to see what you see. What you need to know that we we know now that Abraham did not know. That at this moment, the story of his life, the noise, the background noise of his life was not favored and blessed. 
When, when this interruption happened, it was not like this guy was like living and everything was working for him and his wildest dreams were coming true. And then he's that guy that you come to like encounter night and they always get the prophetic word and their life is awesome. And then the person, you know, is like, hey, would you stand up? You know, your life's gonna get even better. And you're just like, of course it is. They already have all the money and everything. You know, like, no, no, no. This was not Abraham. Up to this, Abraham was 75 years old, been married, did not even have a child. The the background noise of his life was not like favored, blessed, you're going to become a nation. And the people who interact with you, I'm even going to bless them because I'm going to have so much favor on you that just even being around you means that they're going to have favor on them. That was not the noise of his life. The noise of his life was, I am washed up and I amounted to nothing. I have no inheritance. My name will die with me. There there is nothing that I have that I even can leave behind. And God interrupts his story and says, no, this is not who you are. The noise of your past does not define the potential of your future. You hear what I'm saying? What begins to happen is the seesawing effect between who Abraham thought he was and God reminding him of who he was. Because this is what happens, right? Because our background noise becomes so familiar that even though we begin to hear the promises of God over our lives, that doesn't necessarily mean that we believe them. Because hearing something and believing something are two dramatically different things. Hearing a promise from God, hearing that God is for you, hearing that God is with you does not mean that you believe that God is for you and believe that God is with you when you're in a situation that seems like God is not with you or for you. Right? And if we don't believe what we hear, then our circumstances will tell us what we heard. Oh, I wish somebody was with me this morning. If we don't believe what we hear, our circumstances will begin to tell us what we heard, meaning that what we experience in life will become louder than the promise that we're called to build our life on. And so Abram is having one of these seesawing moments, and God speaks to him in Genesis 15, and he says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Now listen to how the background noise of Abram's life experience becomes clouded in the midst of the promise that he was called to believe for. Because it says this, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childish? He's saying, God, cool, thank you that you're with me. But I don't have a kid. You said I'm gonna become a nation, that you're gonna bless me, that people are gonna be blessed through me, yet nothing in my circumstances have changed. So what are you gonna give me? What is this thing? And I love how gracious and kind God is to Abram because it says this in verse five, that it says that God took him outside and said, look up. You know, sometimes that's what we need to do is we need to look up. We need to look up at his glory and not down at our circumstances that we don't understand. And God says, Abram, I want you to look up. Look at the heavens. 
And I love it when God talks a little bit of trash. (laughs) And he says, count the stars if you can. Go ahead. Go ahead, Abram. Look up at the heavens. Go ahead and start trying to count the stars if you can. And here's a reminder. That's how many. So shall your offspring be. I know that what you see down here, Abram, is not connecting to what I'm saying up here. But why don't you stop looking down here and start looking up here. Start looking at the promise and not the noise of your circumstances. And you know that this pattern, this kind of back and forth between God and Abram in Genesis 17, God changes his name actually to Abraham. This kind of seesawing of Abraham in his despair of lack of seeing the promise and God's faithfulness to the promise went on for 25 years. So take heart if you've been believing for something for two weeks. Come on now, for real, right? Take heart if you've been fighting for something for a year. Take heart if you've been praying for something for a couple of years. Because if God was faithful to Abraham over 25 years, I think he's got you. The more that Abraham started to believe in the God that he couldn't see, it started to shape the background noise of the life that he could see. And, and, and it was 25 years of holding on to the promise, 25 years of learning how to believe in what he couldn't see, regardless of what he could see. And after 25 years, when he was 100 years old, he had a son. I don't want to go into the details of that, honestly. That's a joke. <laughs> because I believe this happened the old-fashioned way. I'm just saying, it's an old homie. Gosh, y'all are uptight, dude. <laughs> Loosen up a little bit, man. Goodness gracious, that was a good joke. I even tried it on my team. They laughed. Come on. Abraham's 100. God does a miracle. Isaac was born And can you imagine when Isaac was born, just the relief, the joy, the peace, the confidence in God in that moment of holding what was promised to him. Fantastic moment of God being faithful to what he said, even when what he said seemed like it couldn't be based on what earth says. You hearing what I'm saying? And God was faithful to Abraham, and God gave him the beginning of the promise, which takes us to the moment that I really want to preach on this morning, which is kind of hard for us to understand, because fast forward from the birth of Isaac to now Isaac is a grown young man. We find ourselves in Genesis 22, verse one and it says this sometime later God tested Abraham. 
And he said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go up there and we will worship and then we will come back to you. Let me just stop here because you might be thinking a couple of things right now. One, why would God ask Abraham to do this? Like why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, his promised son, his son, Period. Forget the promise. Why would God ask him to do this? And that's a fair question because this request seems extremely extreme. This, this seems extremely extreme. And the second thing that you might be saying to yourself is, I cannot relate to this moment at all. And I'm with you. And some of you have heard me say this before. But our pursuit of understanding the word of God comes through the lens of what we like to call the meta narrative of scripture. And what that means is that God is telling one big story through the Bible. God is telling one story through the Bible. And when we begin to understand that God is telling one big story through the Bible, it brings a lot of clarity to things in the Bible that looked at in isolation can seem confusing. And this moment is a fantastic picture of that very thing. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a clear picture of a God who has one desire, and that is to rescue humanity and restore to all of us his original design for us. That is the story of God, that we were created to have relationship with him and the sin in our lives and my life and your life separates us from God's design and where we find ourselves today. And the story of God is a story of a God that loves us so much that he does not do distance, that he is pursuing us and he find and made a way for us regardless if there wasn't a way for us to be restored back to him through his son, Jesus. And God would send his own son, his only son to be crucified on a cross so that through his life and death and resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins and experience the fullness of his love and his grace here on earth and forever in eternity with him in heaven. 
And this story in Genesis 22 is an Old Testament window into a New Testament reality. This story is not a story of a son being asked to crucify a son. This is a picture of Jesus coming to earth and being on the burnt offering and being the final sacrifice of our sin. This is not some oddity that God had Abraham do. No, Abraham was a part of telling a story in this moment that was bigger than his personal story. And I actually think that we all have lived a version of this moment. Now, of course, we've never even come close to being in this situation. And if you have, tell somebody about it. But I know that I have felt like the very thing that God has told me to hold on to. The very promise that he's told me to believe for and to pray into. I've been in moments where it feels like those promises are threatened by the very place that I felt like God had told me to go. That, 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 that there's a space between the promise and where I find myself. And, and, and when you feel like the promise that we're holding on to is being smashed by what God is calling you to next, it creates a tension inside of you of what you're going to believe about the God that you're following. Yeah. And Abraham was promised a Son, are you hearing me? Abraham was promised a nation, not just a son. Abraham was promised a nation and he believed for it and he longed for it for 25 years. And now he is living in what God had said and he is looking at his son on an altar going, how in the world does all of this happen with this? And in that place, I want you to listen to how Abraham was responding because we get an insight into the impact of what he was hearing and how it was shaping what he was seeing. Because in Genesis 22, verse 7, it says, Father, this is Isaac speaking. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's looking around like, yo, this is not adding up. And Abraham answered with what he was hearing because what he was hearing was shaping how he was seeing what he was seeing. And he said, God himself will provide. Who God is was louder than what he saw with his eyes. And so his response to the pain of what he was walking in and the circumstances that were so complex that didn't make any sense to him, his response was, I don't know. His response was, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went up together. You see Abraham's soundtrack that was shaping how he was responding, what he was seeing was anchored in who he knew God to be. 
So the noises he was hearing was this is who God is. This is the character of the God that you serve. This is the character of the God who gave you the promise. So what he didn't understand, it didn't push him away from God. It pushed him into God. You hearing what I'm saying? When he was in a situation, in a circumstance, in a difficulty in his life that made no sense, that didn't make any sense to how the promise was connected to where he was, all of a sudden, instead of it pushing him away from God, it drew him into God. And this is why we have to fight to take back the noise in our soul. We have to fight to take back the noise in our soul because it's easy, hear me, it's easy to have a soundtrack of celebration. It's easy to have a soundtrack of thanksgiving and praise when everything is going right. But what's your song in the low place? What do you hear in the valley? What's your song when you're walking up a mountain that you don't understand? What's the background noise that you're feeling when it feels like what you're fighting for is slipping away? Church, we have to be a people that declare that our soundtrack is not going to be shaped by our circumstances, but our soundtrack is going to be shaped by the unshakable character of the God that we serve. And Abraham was looking into the eyes of his son on the altar, thinking all the thoughts that you and I would think, the whys, the hows, the what nows, how can I? Thinking all of it. And then God shouts at him. God interrupts him again. And he says, Abraham. And and, and he looks up and there was a ram that was in the bushes. And that ram took Isaac's place on the altar and Abraham calls this place God will provide and I just want to say that celebration can be your soundtrack today because you might feel like you're on an altar and God's shouting at you and you're going to look up and there's a ram in the bushes there's a lamb the perfect sacrifice and his name is Jesus. And when we say celebration is our soundtrack, we're not saying that like, you know what, we're going to ignore what's coming at us. No, that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is it doesn't matter what's coming at us. It's not going to affect the song that's coming from us. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because we can look at the things that don't make sense and say God is in control. We can look at the things that don't make sense and say, God will provide because that's who he is. We can look at the things that don't make sense and say, God is faithful because that's who he is. We can look at the things that don't make sense and say, you know what? God is in control. So no matter what we're looking at, no matter how big the mountain is that we're staring at, no matter how complex and hurtful the relationship that we're fighting for, that we're in right now, no matter how overwhelmed we might feel by all that's happening in culture right now, hear me, the promise of who God is still stands. The promise of his faithfulness has not moved. He is still good. He will still provide. He is still faithful and he is still in control.
And I want to take some time this morning because I think this is something, this is a declaration that we need to practice. This is, this is a declaration of intent that you don't stumble into. This is a declaration of intent that you declare your way into. You, you look at the things that seem like are crushing the promise that God has given you and you declare them, that you declare over them who God is in every way that they've tried to tell you who God is not. And, and you start looking at the mountains and you start looking at the diagnosis and you start looking at your unemployment and you start looking at the brokenness in your family and you start looking at the people that you know that don't know Jesus that you long for and you're not filled with hopelessness, you're filled with hope because your circumstance doesn't change what you hear. What you hear changes how you see what you see. So what I want us to do is I want you to stand to your feet. Because I want you to know that God is not done with your story. God is not done with your story because your soundtrack has not changed. The faithfulness of God has not changed. God is still in control. He's still a God of hope. He's still a God of faith. He's still a God of healing. He's still a God of clarity. No matter what is going on around us. So right now, I want you to begin to declare the promises that God has given you. Begin to out loud tell God and start speaking to the mountains that are in front of you and say, I will not be shaken by you. My declaration will shake you because my God is in control and my soundtrack, the backing track of my life is a backing track of hope. It's a backing track of peace. It's a backing track of breakthrough. It's a backing track of life. It's a backing track of restoration. And it's a backing track of celebration. Come on, church. Let's declare who he is.